You know, Matt Bounds' uh, story today was, was awesome. Yeah, he's not here now in the service because he's teaching the kids. We were toying with the idea of dismissing the kids before his testimony, but then the kids would have no teacher to go to. And so uh, we said, hey, we're going to keep the kids in for this. And it was good that we did. Um, because I don't know about you, but I was really encouraged by Matt and, and Deborah's testimony about Matt's brother, Tyler. I know many of you have been praying for Tyler. He's been in our bulletin for a long time now. And uh, to, to just see what God is doing in that young man's life, to take him through a time of, of suffering and pain, dealing with drug addiction, uh, dealing with uh, just, just tremendous difficulty and hardship through those addictions, and, and also to see him now beginning to not only come through that time of addiction, but now to be questioning his own religious roots, having been brought up in Mormonism. Matt was brought up in, as a Mormon as well in his family. And Matt, uh, in his uh, latter te- teenage years, early 20s, started to question that faith. And today, his brother is doing the same. Amen? Purposeful suffering. That is the title of today's message. Purposeful suffering. You know, we look at these things, the drug addiction, the, the, the dealing with... with a cult, the Mormon church, trying to go through these, these difficulties of life, we look at these things and we say, God, why would, you, why would you send us through this time of hardship? I'm sure Matt and Deborah were often asking God, why don't you just help Tyler, Lord? Why don't you just rip him out of this? Why does he have to go through this bout with drugs? Why does he have to go through this bout with pain and with deception in his church? <clears throat> And yet God responds, the suffering that you go through is always purposeful. It is always purposeful. Open up in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 24 today. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 24. And then for the rest of the chapter it will go rather quickly. But you'll recall last week that we said that God, that Christ, has high hopes for us. He has high hopes for Christians. And he said as much to the Colossian Christians to whom Paul is writing in this letter. Through Paul, the Lord was urging the Colossians to stay the course, to continue in the faith, that they might withstand evil, that they might withstand false teaching, that they might on the last day present themselves to Christ, having lived a life that was holy, that was blameless, one that Jesus would look upon and be proud of. And yet the race is long. And Paul, the author of this letter, Paul is no fool. He knows that everyone runs for a little while. Some will run well for a duration of time, but then they start to veer off track. Paul knows that many will sprint in those early stages of the Christian life, but then they'll start to regress as they near the finish line. And it's especially when trials and suffering and hardship come our way that the faith of many begins to weaken and wane. And so beginning in Colossians 1, verse 24... Paul inserts himself into the conversation. He begins to use a lot of 
of I words, I, me, my. He begins to talk about his experience, about what he's gone through. And he wants the Colossians to hear his story. Paul is persevering in the faith. He's writing a letter to them while he's in prison. And so he shares his story with the Colossians that they might be reminded that temporary earthly suffering is nothing in comparison to the riches and glory we will one day experience. Take a look at verse 24. Paul says in Colossians 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church of which I became a minister. You know, this, this whole section here of Colossians is actually, can we, you can break it up into two parts. We haven't read it in full yet, but you can break up verses 24 to 29, and you might call it Paul's general overview of his ministry. So from chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, he's going to give a, a general overview of his story, what he's been doing, generally speaking, with respect to the gospel ministry. And then from chapter 2 onward, from 2.1 to 2.5, He's going to get more specific, more particular. And he's going to say, and this is how my story applies to you, Colossians. This is how my story applies to you, Christians. And he says about his general ministry, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister. There's a lot packed into the, this verse and, and the second part of the this next verse. I, I want to stop and, and just start with the first clause. Look at verse 24 again. The first clause, the first phrase. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. There are two things that are incredibly important in this clause. First, while we are well aware that the Apostle Paul suffered during his life, as did most of Jesus' followers, it's easy to overlook what Paul does with that suffering. He says, I now rejoice in my suffering. The last couple of weeks we've been sick at home. Uh, my wife's been sick, I've been sick, Bennett's been sick, Mallory's been sick, Amelia's been sick. I'm, I'm sure our dog's probably been sick. It's been one of those, you know, months where it's like a couple, somebody will get well and then the next person will get sick and someone will get better and then the next person will get sick. And it's like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And so my wife, literally two weeks ago, she, she coined a new phrase and we've got it, we've got it uh, written out right there in our kitchen. We can see it every day right now. Her new phrase is, enjoy the crazy. Enjoy the crazy. Because guess what? It will always be crazy. I don't care if you have kids or don't. I don't care if you're young or old. Life throws you a bunch of curveballs. There's all sorts of things that come your way and you look at it and you're like, this is crazy. Look what I'm going through. Look at this hardship. Look at this trial. Look at this sickness. Look at this predicament. Life is crazy. My wife just had a resolve these last couple of weeks. She says, we need to enjoy the crazy. Suffering is hard. And when we suffer, there are times to mourn. There are times to weep. There are even times to ask God, God, why me? Why are we going through this? 
Why are you taking me through this? But then there is also a time to look upon those trials and hardships and to find a reason to smile and to rejoice and to even laugh and say, God, this is crazy. This is hard, and you know I don't like it, but I'm going to find joy in it. I'm going to make the most of this situation. Are you rejoicing in suffering? What are you suffering with now? Right now, how are you suffering? What, what trial are you going through? What is crazy in your life? Paul is asking the question to you here today, are you having joy in that moment? Are you enjoying the crazy? If you do rejoice in it, I think you'll find yourself growing closer to why God is letting you experience it. And oftentimes, God gives us craziness that we might use that experience to bless others. Notice what Paul says next. He says, this is the second interesting point about this phrase. He says in the second part of the phrase, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul suffers for the Colossians, he says. Is that possible? To, for a person to suffer for the sake of another? Of course it is. We do it all the time. Moms, you routinely, daily, hourly suffer on behalf of your children. I know. I watch. <laughs> and you're all very joyful in it. Some of you, you take care of the sick. Some of you take care of the handicapped, the infirmed. You suffer for them. Some of you are working multiple jobs. Some of you are going back to school. Some of you uh, work so many hours you're low on sleep. You suffer for your family, for your spouse, for your future. We don't suffer alone. Our suffering's never in vain. Our individual suffering always has benefits that extend to others far beyond what we might imagine. In fact, our suffering is, in a very real sense, done for others. It is done for the benefit of others. You say, well, how can my suffering benefit another? Paul tells us elsewhere in his letters. Take a look right on your outline there at 2 Corinthians 1, 3-7. One of my all-time favorite texts. Paul writes in another letter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. This is why he's blessing him, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, meaning deliverance. Or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so you also will partake of the consolation. Paul says, I suffer that I might help others who suffer. I suffer that I might know how to console others. I go through craziness, through hardships, through trials. I look at these things and I think, this is not meaningful. Why am I bothering with this? Why am I going through this? And yet, when we go through it, 
we end up consoling and comforting others later on. I suffer that one day, when, the, when those who saw me suffer, and they saw me suffer it well, with joy, that they might find deliverance and hope in the midst of their suffering when it comes. When I suffer well, others will see it, and they'll be bolstered in their faith. They'll be strengthened to carry on. And when suffering comes their way, they'll know they can endure it. But that means something about our suffering. And this is important. In order for my suffering to have benefits that extend to you, in order for your suffering, your craziness, your hardships, to have benefits that extend to me and to the rest of us, there's one thing that needs to happen. It has to happen. And that is the suffering must be shared. It must be shared. If it's not shared, it will accrue no benefit to those around you. We cannot run the race alone. We must tell our story too. That's why we encourage folks like Matt and Deborah to share their testimony on Sunday. Matt today shared about his family's trials. We heard about suffering in his family. Suffering that he's endured personally, that his brothers endured. And guess what? We saw him leave and all the kids with him. And as that testimony was over, we were all encouraged by it. Were we not? We were all bolstered by it. We looked upon that, that testimony and we said, wow, look what God did. His brother was at a brick wall and yet now he's on the road. Perhaps he's already come to faith or perhaps he's days away or weeks away or months away from coming to know the Lord. We don't know what will happen next, but what we do know is that God used Matt's story of craziness and suffering to encourage us, to build us up. It benefited us. And so I ask you, will you share your story? I know that there are so many untold stories out there. I look upon uh, this audience and uh, I know that there are stories that have not been, been shared. You've told me, many of you have, some of the experiences you've gone through, but you've not told the people of the church I would ask you to consider sharing your story. Share how God has redeemed your suffering. Share how God has taken you from a life of drug addiction to a life of peace with God. Share how God has taken you from a life of alcohol and partying to a life of redemption in Jesus Christ. Share how God has changed your marriage. Share how God has pulled you out of addiction. Share how God has taken you from a state of depression and near suicide to hope. Don't you know that the church will be benefited by it? We want to hear your story. And if you want to tell it, you just need to ask. We would love to have you share. Paul continues in verse 24. He says, I, re I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church 
of which I became a minister. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? Surely Paul is not suggesting here that Jesus' sufferings are somehow insufficient, right? Of course that's not what Paul's suggesting. He's not suggesting that, that somehow what Jesus did on the cross is somehow insignificant or meaninglessness or, or meaningless. Instead, Paul's saying something different than that. It doesn't quite come through in our, in our English translations, and so what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to propose a better translation, a couple translations that might be helpful as you understand the end of verse 24. The truth is, is that verse 24, if, if we were to translate it more specifically from the original Greek, it might be something like this. You can write it down in your outline. A better translation is that I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in afflictions or tribulations for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. I do it for Him. I do it unto Him. Or we might also say, I fill up in my flesh, Paul says, what is lacking in the afflictions or the tribulations that relate to Christ. That relate to Christ. That, that, that the sufferings that have benefit to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I welcome those sufferings. I welcome those hardships. I welcome that craziness. Because when my suffering is for the sake of the gospel, I want more of it, Paul says. I want to fill it up in my flesh. Whatever is lacking. Jesus has said that the gospel ministry, Jesus has said that the kingdom of God, those who wish to represent Him in this life, are going to suffer persecution and hardship. He said it a thousand times in the Gospels. Paul, Peter, John mention it over and over again throughout the New Testament. You will suffer if you want to follow Christ. And so Paul is simply commenting that if Christ said suffering was coming, then Paul says, give me my share. I'm ready for it. Send it to me, God. Fill up in my flesh what is lacking in tribulations for the sake of Christ. I am ready and willing to take it. Instead of lamenting, God, why me? Why me? Why did you bring this to me? Instead, we might respond like Paul and say, God, with the measure of suffering that you've seen fit to give unto me, help me suffer well for your kingdom's sake. And as I suffer, Paul says, as I suffer, let me say, in the spirit of 2 Corinthians 4 on your outline, that we, while we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. While we're perplexed, we're not in despair. While we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. While we're struck down, we're not destroyed. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death, because of these sufferings, because of this craziness, because of these hardships, death is working in me, but life in you. Paul says, I will endure all of these things that my people who read my letter, 
that my people whom I serve, that my family, that my friends, that those who know me might accrue benefit by watching me suffer well. Something miraculous happens when we share how God has worked in us in our times of suffering. Nick Vujicic was born in Melbourne, Australia, in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor. And when Nick was born, his parents looked down and they saw that Nick had no arms and no legs. He had no limbs whatsoever. Today, at the age of 30, Nick travels the world sharing about his handicap, about his suffering, and about the great physical and emotional pain that it's given unto him over the years but also about how Jesus Christ has taken a limbless man and made him whole. Today, Nick leads a ministry called lifewithoutlimbs.org, a Christian ministry that reaches out to the hurting of this world. And recently, he's been making special efforts to deal with the emotional uh, hurting ones, particularly those who are depressed, even those who are considering suicide. I want you to watch this four-minute video and see how one person is willing to share his story of suffering to benefit others. Take a look. Every year, one million people commit suicide in the world. That's one death every 40 seconds. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for those aged between 15 and 24 years old. Suicide rates have increased 60% in the last 45 years. A suicidal person feels like they have no meaning, no purpose, and no future. You know sometimes where you feel like you hide your pain pretty well? Well, so does a person sitting next to you. You don't know what power we have to actually be a light into someone's life. To this experience, God has revealed a few things to me. And the first thing is when God presses on your heart to do something, stop, listen, and act. God gives us opportunity to reach out and be a light in the dark place. Here's a powerful story of how one night God tapped me on the shoulder and said hey go up to that person and ask how they're doing and if they're okay and don't believe them when they say I'm fine I had enough I saw no reason for living I had no purpose in life anymore. I remember it was a cold night. I just wanted to get away. Away from everything. Away from my parents. Away from feeling out of place. I know I shouldn't have, but I hitchhiked. The man just kept driving. He ended up just dropping me off at a church. A guy was speaking at the church. He talked about how no one understood what he was going through. And that's how I felt. After church, I was sitting alone. As the person walked by, my heart sank. It was Nick. He came back and talked to me. Nick listened. Listened to my hurt. Listened to my frustration. I didn't feel alone anymore.
ignore his voice. Don't ignore that little idea that's pressed upon your heart and don't brush it off as if it's just a silly idea. I think of what would have happened if I actually didn't stop and I just ignored it. I was tired. I was preaching all day. It was cold outside. I wanted to go home. I was hungry. But I'm thanking God today that I stopped. Make sure that you stop. alongside the next generation and encourage them to be passionately inspired to stand their ground as ambassadors of Christ. Help us pass along the torch to the next generation. I recently saw an interview of Nick on uh, Oprah of all places. No, I do not watch Oprah regularly. It was on YouTube. Thank you very much. In it, Nick gave the gospel so clearly on Oprah Winfrey's show that I was just praising God. Praising God for a man who was suffering well. Willing to share that suffering with others that they might have hope. And today this man is going around the world sharing clearly the gospel of grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. I pray God's great blessings upon his life as he shares. When Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, we now know what that means. Our sufferings have merit. They have benefit. They extend to others. But they only extend to others when you share it. Why do we endure suffering? We endure it for the sake of God's people. We endure it to give them hope. We endure it to give the world hope. And that's what Paul says in verse 24. He says, I suffer for the sake of Christ's body, which is the church. Continuing on in verse 25. This church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the Word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I suffer, Paul writes, because it's my stewardship, it's my commission, it's my duty. My endurance helps to fulfill God's Word. My testimony helps to substantiate what you read on these pages. 
my testimony of suffering helps reveal a mystery to the world, a secret that the world doesn't know about. And when the world asks, how can he suffer? How can she suffer like that? Those whose hope is in Jesus can definitively say, it's not me, it's Christ in me. The hope of glory. That's the mystery. That's the secret. The riches of glory, which God has now made known to the world, that through Christ, all things are possible. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect, mature in Christ Jesus. To this end, I labor, striving according to, the, to His working, which works in me mightily. Paul says Jesus is the answer. It is Him we preach. We warn others that without Him, life is meaningless. Life is empty. We teach others in all wisdom how to trust Christ, how to live in such a way that they'd be perfect, that is mature, complete in Him. That's Paul's goal to push every man, woman, and child to maturity. A babe in Christ, one who is new to the faith, one who is continually in this infancy stage of the faith, is a person who wallows and whines when suffering comes their way. A babe in Christ is one who sees the craziness and takes self-pity. But a mature believer looks upon his or her suffering and says, God, help me suffer well. God, help me to enjoy the crazy. There will be times when I fail to enjoy it, when I don't suffer well, but pick me right back up and give me joy in the midst of this. I don't know Nick Vujicic. I don't know him personally. I've never met him. But his testimony inspires me. So also... The Colossians, they had never met Paul. They had never seen him face to face. They had never looked him in the eye. But his letter to them, his testimony of suffering that was written for them, was written down that they might have hope. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Here's my conflict. Here's what I hope for. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, you've never never met me, Colossians. Neither have you met, neither have I met, those Christian neighbors of yours in nearby Laodicea, a town nearby. We've not met each other. But I press on in the great conflict of the gospel ministry for you so that you may be encouraged, so that my story might weave us together as brothers and sisters, so that we might get a grasp on all the immeasurable treasure that Jesus Christ is, that in Him we have all we need, all wisdom, all knowledge, all truth, all hope. So don't look anywhere else. 
Don't look anywhere but to Jesus. The world's riches are like rags. The world's teaching is like words of a fool. Don't listen to anyone or anything that would take your eyes and ears off the hope of the gospel. He says as much in verse 4 and 5, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul says, Colossians, Christians, those who I've never met, don't listen to false teaching. They're trying to infiltrate your ranks. The world's philosophy is trying to creep in. You're being distracted by something that is not of God. Don't listen. That teaching, that philosophy, that lure that the world has, it will have an appearance of goodness to it. It may even look persuasive, Paul writes in verse 4. But its words, its teaching, its philosophy is actually full of lies and deceit. In a couple weeks, we'll come back and we'll begin to unpack the worldly philosophy that is that Paul addresses in chapter 2. It's perhaps some of the most exciting part of the entire letter to the Colossians. We'll begin to unpack that in a couple weeks from now. Just what were the false teachers promoting? What were they teaching? What were they saying to the church that was at times persuasive? But Paul is teeing up his letter. He's, re- he's come through that first chapter now and he's teeing up the letter to address these lies. But as we wait to hear about that heretical teaching, the worldly philosophy, know that our job is to maintain good order and steadfastness. Good order, taxon in Greek, which means good discipline. And steadfastness, stereoma, which means to remain firm, to be solid in the faith. That's our job. Paul says, you don't even need me in the flesh to accomplish these goals. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. So lean on Him. Rely on Him. And He'll steer you through worldly lies and deceit. He'll get you through times of suffering. And He'll take that suffering and give it meaning and purpose. And give it a, an opportunity for its benefits to accrue to many. In application today, in conclusion, I want you to write down a few things here. Number one, I want you to ask yourself, how am I presently suffering? What is, what's the craziness in my life right now? How am I suffering? Have I given myself time to grieve through that suffering? It's okay to grieve. It's okay to pause and be like, Lord, this is, this is hard. This is difficult. I need help. It's, 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 it's okay to take stock and pause in that moment of hardship and trial. But secondly... As I go through that grieving and that understanding process, has my grieving turned to frustration? Has it turned to disillusionment? Has it turned to even anger with God? Or have I learned to suffer well? Write down those words. Have I learned to suffer well? To even find joy in my trial? And thirdly, do I believe that my stories of hardship can bless others 
Do I believe that? That my story can bless another? And if yes, who can I share my story with next? None of you knew Nick Vujicic. And yet as you watched his story, you saw that his suffering not only benefited that girl who was hitchhiking late one night, but it also has already accrued benefits to you. Matt Bounds' testimony has already accrued benefits to you. As we watch each other go through sickness, deal with death in the family, deal with hardships and trials, financial, relational, spiritual, emotional, physical, we can only draw nearer to one another. We can only be knitted more in love. And we can only receive the benefit of that suffering if we share it. Will you share your story? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O Lord, it is hard in the moment of craziness and suffering to get a clear grasp on its purpose. But Lord, we see here in your word that no amount of hardship is purposeless. It is always purposeful. And so God, as we look upon our own life, and as we consider the things you brought us through, or even the things we're going through right now, God, would you help us to open up with one another? Not just with those who are nearest and dearest to us, but with others. Perhaps even the entire church in a testimony of your faithfulness to us. God, help us to be brave and bold, sharing what you have done in us that we might be a blessing and a benefit to others, that it might, our story might, bolster the faith of those both here and around the globe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.